Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John, and welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies both new and old with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right, and to avoid any lazy negativity, we are making this a drinking game. Drinking, drinking game. game. Any negative game criticism <laughs> any negative criticism about a film is absolutely allowed, but you will be called out for it, and you will have to take a drink. A drink, yes. Drink. So, <laughs> so if you hear this sound... It means someone said something negative and they're drinking, and maybe you should too. So pour yourself a glass, join us, and give it off the films we love and perhaps the films that need some love. Mm. That was the best we've ever done this intro. Pretty much is, yes. It's the first one that we redid six times. We're just nervous because John doesn't have his notes up uh, because his computer just bombed right before this episode started. So I love a high stress John. It's always good to have a nice drinking podcast when someone's stressed out because technology, you know? Oh yeah. my gosh. Well, friends, we are going to be talking about the film year 1985. Now, if you are listening to this podcast right now, you've very likely seen the episode title, which has given away the movies that we are doing of this year. What I will say is this year in film, which we will discuss in a second, it's one of the most quintessentially 80s film years. The two films or the three films we've chosen maybe are not on that canon of those 80s films, but these are fantastic films that have great rewatchability. So stick around and let's talk some more about them. But first, I'm going to pass it over to John, who's going to do his shout outs from memory. This is going to be crazy. (laughs) Shout outs from the 90s. All right. So as usual, we're going to thank our beer sponsor, Carlos Barroso. You can give him a follow on Instagram at cbarrosobar 2019. That's C-B-A-R-R-O. Z-O-B-A-R-2019. And as usual, the music you hear on this episode, on every episode, all the episodes, is provided by the artist Dasein. That's Dasein, D-A-S-E-I-N. You can find all the music available for free downloads, soundcloud.com forward slash Dasein dash artist. Amazing. Like I said, we're going to talk some more about the film year of 1985 before getting into our three selections. Um... But first, let's do our round of what you've been watching. And mm. let's start with, I'm going to start with Dave. I need John to just have a second here, all right? So, Dave, right. go ahead. <laughs> first first of all, Jeff, uh, no one can see this because we're audio, but can you can you tilt your, your camera back a little bit? Oh, when yeah, you, lean, you don't like looking when, at my chin yeah, when I talk? When, no, when you lean in, you look like the radio announcer from the Warriors. Hey, so. guys, wait, <laughs> stop right there. I, the Warriors was a reference in The Office. I just I saw this episode the other day where Michael wants he goes up to um to to um I want to call him Craig because that's his name in real life. Um, and he's asking about gang culture. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, all black people, you know, we, we all know everything about the Bloods and the Crips and yeah, the Warriors. And then he just starts and the Sharks. And he just like starts naming gangs. And he mentioned the Warriors and I had no idea. So shout out to our podcast and the Warriors. Shout out to the office. Sorry, Dave. Woo. Back to you. Uh, this week I caught uh, a couple of streaming things, uh, obviously, because we can't go anywhere else. Um, Guns Akimbo. Daniel really? Radcliffe oh. film. It is stupid good fun. Uh, Sam, Samra Weaving uh, as well, leading that up as the psychotic woman that's pursuing him through the city. I didn't realize it was filmed, I believe, in New Zealand. Um, it's a really, really fun, really violent black comedy action romp. Um, also, I caught uh, on the other side of the action spectrum, The Old Guard from Netflix. Hey. Yeah, and that's and? that's a good film. It's a really good oh, film. Cool. Uh, I feel like they've set it up for a franchise, and I do not mind. Nice, nice. That's a it's new. 
Yeah, so, a lot of people draw parallels to Highlander. Nope. Nothing like it. Is it a series or a movie? It's a movie. Is that Charlize? Yeah, it's Charlize. It's uh, four immortals who've been around forever, basically influencing humankind as they go, like taking missions and stuff like that. Right. And then suddenly a fifth one appears in the midst of them getting outed as immortals. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's a whole big thing from there. A really good appearance by um, Dudley from uh, Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Who yeah. has uh, trimmed himself down and is the, like, psychotic fucking Zuckerberg character of the, like, Big Pharma in this. So the villain's Big Pharma, in case you didn't guess. Um, well, you said Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. I assumed villain. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't everybody just... <laughs> And that's all I've watched this week. Okay, John. Nice. I'm still going ahead with the master classes. I watched uh, Ron Howard, so I was feeling Ron Howard, so I watched um, Apollo 13 and A Beautiful Mind. (laughs) Whoa. Two two fun ones. Mm. And then I watched these. And then because of what you said last week, Jeff, I started watching some of the Hans Zimmer master class, which was pretty cool. Like everything he's saying, he's kind of everything you want him to say. It's pretty, pretty impressive. Um, Star Trek. Yeah. How about you? Um, fantastic question. I, uh, so as friends of the pod here know that I, um, am in a house that likes reality television and, um, oh, not I was again. thrilled when don't, we had a don't you full blame family. The house. Don't you blame I the like, house, dude. <laughs> I, I am not normally a fan of reality television, but somehow we ended up unmarried at first sight and you know it's like i i know the the idea of reality television is that even if it's scripted and and produced and holy shit is it overproduced they they actually force these people to get married and they don't allow annulments and it's it's so fucked up i mean oh it's so weird now of course you you can't stop watching it once it's happening but also part of the reason you can't stop watching it is because you're watching these families literally watching their children get married to strangers and and every so there's eight people that they choose so four couples out of 200 or so and you follow them but all eight of them basically tell their parents and then it's the same reaction this is crazy as the dumbest thing i've ever heard and they all end up going this is what you want and then they do the dress shopping and then all you watch four full weddings it's like so much it's so much and the whole time you're sitting there and you're like this is so fucked up (laughs) so fucked up they're totally taking advantage of the reality format and forcing these people to get married for our viewing pleasure so fucked up jeff you have taken two Way too much, you have taken way too much away from this. <laughs> yeah, I just I just learned um, a whole lot about married at first sight or whatever. The fuck oh my it's god! Called. I will say it, it's hard to stop watching, but it's it's you feel bad because you know that most of them are going to end in divorce and it's just fucked up. Anyway, I feel bad um, just listening to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought I was and mad. Then, at um, my computer, I also but... back to 1985. I'd never seen, never seen the Goonies before. Never once Whoa, in my what? life. And so what? we started watching it after my brother had a virtual bachelor party the other day. And so mm. I decided after about 10 shots of whiskey that it was the perfect time to start the Goonies. So I did not finish it, but it was off to a really good start. Shout out to Sean Astin. I yeah. mean, the whole cast is great, but I, Sean Astin is Mikey. That is a great, great youth performance, man. He's awesome in that. Anyway. Here's a little, um, a little tidbit of trivia for our listeners. The three of us lived together at one point as roommates in Astoria in uh yeah. queens in new york and the goonies was shot in astoria portland or astoria oregon excuse me yes oh cool our sister nice. city on the other coast 
sister city. Which I, I visited uh, Me too. two years, two yeah, years ago. Yeah, you went there two I years ago. I went there like four years yeah. ago. Yeah. Pretty um, cool. Yeah. Tiny bit, of, tiny bit of film news. I feel like Tenet's the only movie that comes up. They've officially pushed it back indefinitely, but it's going to open overseas at the end Let's of August. Let's talk about Tenet I've some got more. An up, I've got an update on that. So, Jeff, Jeff, just opening overseas. Just so, yeah. to know, just so you know, it just came out just before we, went to, we uh, recorded this. Tenet, the more movie with more shifting dates than Back to the Future, is now coming on September 2nd in the U.S. Oh, it is? Wow. It is. They're, well, stag- like they're staggering like it worldwide. Like they announced like that just then. Because, well, yeah. Yeah, I saw August 26th and it just said overseas. It didn't even say because China already opened movie theaters. And you know what's selling really well in China? Fucking Doolittle, all right? So yes. they are not a good metric for what movies are going out. Come on, Doolittle. Doolittle yeah. and Bloodshot? Come on, China. That movie, I mean, maybe it's better if you, don't speak, if you don't speak English. <laughs> maybe maybe it really holds up. Well, then, you... And then, of course, you know, I, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but then Netflix released its biggest budget ever. I, I guess The Irishman is going to end up beating it because they went $50 million over budget. But $200 million for Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans movie directed by the Russos called The Gray Man, based on the 2009 mm. novel. So as you've all expected, it's either going to be existing IP, like the Avatars and like, you know, other superhero characters. Apparently there's more Star Wars movies coming, whatever. And then Netflix and Amazon. That's it. This is the future of movies. It's here now. A lot of animation coming up. But the film festivals, some of which are canceled, are all premiering Nomadland by Chloe Chow, which, by the way, I saw I saw um, The Rider, who's a guy about who can break horses in South Dakota on like a mm-hmm. kind of reservation territory. I saw it at the New York Film Festival because my friend Eddie got us some tickets and it was beautiful. It was amazing. And so this one stars Francis McDormand and it's coming out and they're all screening it at the same time. That's Toronto and Venice was, are was doing this a during dual the, screening of it. Was this during the season break of Married at First Sight? Get the fuck out of here, Dave. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah, when did you have time to learn all this stuff when you were watching all that reality television? Well, when I was writing down my notes. Did you turn off Goonies hate- so you could keep watching Married at First Sight? Oh, my God. Get the fuck out of here. All right. Let's All get right, on. moving on. <laughs> get out of here. Uh, also, live action Hercules coming out because that's what the world needs. Okay, so mm. 1985. So I, I thought up until like yesterday that I thought 1985 was the most quintessentially 80s film year. But like the films that just define the 80s all packed into one year for two reasons. Number one, Back to the Future. Now for friends of the pod or those who are new, about a couple months ago, we did a whole thing about the Back to the Future trilogy. When we were during coronavirus, we decided that we should we, we just we, we thought our significant others should be forced to watch multiple film franchises every single week so every week we rewatched two film franchises and did a bracket like march madness style battle yada 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 we did back to the future a couple weeks ago yeah. if you want to hear us talk about back to the future go back number the two big takeaway from this is apparently my marriage is gonna last <laughs> oh that's good so number two is the breakfast club which also came out in 1985 and the goonies as i just said you've also mm-hmm. got um uh, Rocky Four, yada yada. But anyway, I thought that would be the most quintessentially '80s movie year. I think 1984 actually has it beat because they have Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, The Temple of Doom, Gremlins, Karate Kid, Police Academy, Footloose, Splash, and Sixteen Candles. So 1984 wins. But yeah, 1985, number two on the list of most quintessentially '80s movies. Now we picked. Witness, starring Harrison Ford, which is his only Academy Award nomination, Witness. 
And we picked The Kiss of the Spider Woman, which is a beautiful film. It is an independent movie that, thanks to some critical praise, was able to find its way into some success. Um, it's based on a, a 70s novel, and it has been adapted into plays and musicals. And then we're going to do our redemption movie of the year, of the week, which is, um, was it really that bad? And that is European Vacation. Now, some of you probably think fondly of European Vacation. It has a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes, so the critics didn't seem to love it too well, too much. But we're going to give it another look. Anyway, we chose these three films. If you at home believe maybe we would serve ourselves, you know, better to do the more populist fare, for instance, like, oh, what well, it would be fun to hear us get drunk and talk about The Breakfast Club. Please tell us, tell us that. That sounds good. But we decided to go with some movies that maybe we could recommend to you from this film here that maybe you missed, but, you know, are worth another look because there's a lot of Breakfast Pods, Breakfast Club pods out there. So anyway, we're kind of towing that line. Do we talk about movies that you've heard of but maybe haven't given a look? Or do you want us to talk about movies that, you know, you've all seen and I don't know what we would add to that conversation, but if that's what you want to hear, let us know. We would love to hear from you. But this week, and where can they hear from off. us, Jeff? Where can they hear from us? Oh my gosh, Dave! Thank you so much. Well, we've had our Twitter account at the Love of Cinema Pod, and we have our Instagram handle at the Love of Cinema Pod. Is that right? I don't know. They're in the episode notes, and then Dave. Thankfully, took it upon himself to start a Facebook group, a Facebook page, and a YouTube page. You can find us all over the internet. Just fucking write to us, all right? We want to hear from you all. It would be great to hear from you all. We know you're listening because we're, we're watching our downloads. That includes everybody worldwide. Thank you to our international listeners. But we are going to get started with Witness, unless anybody else has anything to say about the film year 1985. Nope. I think you just all said I will it say all, is bro. fuck Steven Spielberg again, all right? I had no idea he produced The Goonies. And I was like, in 1984, he does this, he does the next Raiders. Sorry, not Raiders. He does Temple of Doom, 84. And I was like, cool. So he kind of takes a year off in 85. He directs The Color Purple. You know, it was a fine film, for sure. It's the number four highest grossing film. And then he also produces Back to the Future and The Goonies. Get the fuck out of here, man. Like, I feel like every year in the 80s, Steven Spielberg just owns the box office and just was, like, in charge. And he spent, he it's, just wanted his childhood to be cool. That's yeah, what it is with all these movies, right? It's kind of why we still tolerate him today. We will never let him forget 1941. We will never let him forget it. This is how you make billions of dollars. (laughs) I had no idea he he produced the Goonies. So, okay, on to Witness, because we're not talking about the Goonies. Uh, Because I can do a whole whole episode on the Goonies. 15 minutes Um, in. I've been chatting. Does anybody else want to set Witness up? John, let's hear you set Witness up without any notes. (laughs) Oh, my God. All right, this is uh, another, another Peter Weir film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we talked about Dead Poets Society last time, starring uh, Harrison Ford. He's on the Academy Award. Uh, is this Kelly McGillis? Am I yes, right? Yeah. Is this Kelly McGillis? Uh, You'll see her in Top Gun. First time, yeah, first time we saw her. Top Gun was before or after this? Before. After 86. Uh, yeah, so is that basically right? yeah. this is a Amish community. Uh, centers around an Amish community. Kelly McGillis and her son come into the city to have to catch a train. In the train station in Philadelphia, her son witnesses a murder, and it becomes a police investigation. Wait, so her son is the witness. Yes, her sorry. <laughs> I love how how love. We'll get there in a second, but yeah. So he becomes a witness. Harrison Ford is the police officer who's in charge of it. Shit goes wrong because the police are involved. So Harrison Ford has to go under fucking cover, basically, and hide out in the Amish community in Pennsylvania, and shit goes awry. Detectives get involved. Mm. There's some killing in the end. There's some awesome death by corn. 
at the end of this movie, which is fucking incredible. Peter and Weir in a way that in a way that you're not expecting. Not expect. I mean, what, how could you expect that? <laughs> what did you? Well, you know, movies sometimes that you still see a gun didn't know that, what was happening while Chekhov, it was happening. Well, they, you know what's funny about this? They gave us the Chekhov gun rule. So for anyone who doesn't know, there's this rule in a play or a movie: if you're going to kill someone with a gun by the end of a movie, you have to show the gun. Right? This is called this Chekhov rule. So at the beginning of his Amish experience, the son does point out to Harrison Ford, "Yeah, the corn is at the top of the silo." So technically, we did learn, but I still. I still thought it was awesome when they decided to use it as a murder weapon by yep. the end of this. Hmm. So I don't know, you guys. I love this movie. This is the second time I've seen this movie. Um, I love Peter Weir. It's just more of that tone we talked a lot about Dead Poet Society. Yeah. It's super grounded. Um, it's John Seal as well, cinematography. John Seal, same, yeah, together again. Those guys. It was beautifully shot. I really love Maurice uh, Jarre's music. Uh, Harrison Ford is is really great in this, but so is everyone else. Kelly McGillis, how many close-ups did she have where she just said fucking nothing? It was just all yeah. long close-ups, eyes, especially that last moment, but it was there were lots of moments where they were just not talking to each other. There is a there is a patience to the way they made this movie that seems to be just in Peter Weir's stuff in general. And yet, I'm curious if you guys felt this way. Not, not that I was on the edge of my seat, but I thought it had a lot of momentum for being such a patient, quiet film. Did you feel that way? Or did you feel like it was, I'm in Amish country and I'm a little bored? Did you guys get bored at all or were you okay? No, there was there was always some hint of like looming doom coming. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and it was it was very well paced in my opinion. Yeah. No, I thought so too. Yeah, it, oh, it was it was, very, it was very 80s in the fact that they're basically like, well, now that we're in Amish country, let's have some fun looking around and let's get them acclimated to the community and then be like, wait, did you guys forget that there's people on the run? You know what I mean? So like hmm. there were a couple times like that where it's almost like he was getting a little cozy. Have you guys ever seen For Richer or Poor with Tim Allen and Curse the Alley? I was thinking about that this whole time. He's basically yeah. like in a Ponzi scheme or something and has to run from the feds, I think. They, they, they lost all their money and like ran into Amish country. And I was thinking about that this entire time. Anyway, um, no, I, I, I thought it was I thought it was a beautiful film. It was shot really, yeah. really, really well. What do you think of the... It, still had uh, some of those, I, I, it definitely felt like a film that our parents' generation would definitely love. You know what I mean? But I still think there's a lot for us to us to appreciate, including Harrison Ford and including just the subtle things that we would appreciate. Like Harrison Ford hates when people pray before eating. And then he shows up in Amish country. <laughs> you know what I mean? Harrison Ford talks in his sleep when he gets nervous. And then he's around the Amish. You know what I mean? So there's like a lot of like funny things like that. But it works really well. And it moves. I, that one's moves borderline, but I'm going to hit you anyway. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious what you mean. Can you... What do you mean, like, for our generation? Just was it because it's a little slower? Is that what you mean? The comments um, you made about how our parents' generation would enjoy this a lot, and for us it was still good, but what did you mean by... It was general. Like, it was like a general picture painting of Amish country. And I know there was character and there were specifics in there, but it was kind of like, this is how the Amish live. They drive carriages on streets with cars. You know, there was, like, yeah, a little yeah. bit of that... Um, romanticized but also sort of general like information i i I imagine that a lot of people who saw this um just wanted to spend some time in this country in this world and they needed it to be explained a little bit more to them whereas our generation would rather 
finish the movie and know less about the Amish people than you would after seeing Witness, but not have it told to them, if that's what... It's very subtle. I'm not saying... We're talking about like a seven versus a six of informational filmmaking. Um, Like how they build homes and how you become a part of the community, for instance. But I think they do pull it off really effectively. But you can't watch this movie and not think it's from another time, if that makes sense. Yeah, not just totally. the, the no, look I, of it. Well, of course not. It's got that sweet 80s film grain. Which is great. Grain. Which is great. It's, it's the, the, one of those things that digital filmmakers try to replicate constantly is that 80s yeah. film grain. And you just and the color. Dave, talk, right. Dave, talk to me about the color. Because when they go from the city, which is very dark and bleak, a lot of it is shot at night. But then when they go to Amish country, a lot of like the yellows and greens really pop. What, what do you think they did in the color here to make it shine? Um, well, I, don't, I don't know how much color like they're doing. A lot of uh, John Seal works a lot in camera, I think. Um, so it was just it was a more colorful environment like he every time he picked his his locations and the backgrounds of his shots and everything really really well i feel like he managed to make a lot of the scenes in the amish community almost look like paintings because there was just this lush green and it it, that i i don't know if that's a color thing i think it comes down to picking your shot and what's in your shot that one yeah a a lot of the work went into the planning of that that one gorgeous uh shot with the the ferns just moving in the wind um, that giant, mm-hmm. it looked like a painting. It was almost like he was like, we want, how do we make American Gothic beautiful? Like, cause even the, you know, yeah, there's like a exactly. sardonic kind of thing to that painting and you know, the way, way we think of it and the way we refer to it and think of that kind of almost satirical side of Americana. But this was, this had so much, had so much beauty to it. Jeff, I know what you mean. I feel I still really loved it and appreciated it, but Same. you're right. It's not Same. told through. It's not. It's not Harrison's character's point of view or his character that drives the narrative. They sit back a little bit further, I think, with their perspective, so that there's room for everyone in this story, and mm. especially the education of what what it's like to be in the Amish. Did you guys catch young Vigo Mortensen, young Aragorn? Oh yeah. Did we catch him? That was his first film, wasn't it? That was his very first film. I believe it's his first film, yeah. Yeah, I've heard him talk about yeah, he that experience. Uh, he, said, he said there's still, so much in this. He said still to this day, that is the most, like, <laughs> not surprising at all, I guess. He said that that was, like, the calmest, most together, well-run set he's ever been on in his entire life. Nobody raised their voice a single time. It was just, like, very mm. calmly going from one set up to the next, just talking quietly. And then they would just be like, all right, let's do this. Okay, very good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Do you think Harrison Ford got his nomination for this because he said fuck? <laughs> what? Wait, do you think we, should, we heard should... that before? Do you think that was... We've heard it plenty like, of times since. He, he said fuck this time, so it's... it's we should we put this movie into context a little bit just to remind everybody. So Harrison Ford, Star Wars 77, Apocalypse Now 79, and 78, doesn't matter. And then he goes Empire in 80, Raiders in 81, Blade Runner in 82, um... Jedi 83, Temple of Doom 84, and then this in 85. So this guy is the number one movie star of the world, right? This is mm. before Top Gun, so this is before Tom Cruise maybe started to get in there, before the Travolta boom of the 90s. Like, he is quite Actually, possibly... Yeah, it's, it's funny, Legend came out this year, didn't it? With Tom Cruise's movie? Uh, Legend, maybe. I'm not, I don't, I don't know. I didn't see that on the highest mm. grossing... I mean, he was already known, obviously, because of Risky Business and Cocktail and shit. But anyway... 
He so Harrison he was a huge movie star, and then he does this movie, which is a little bit off the beaten track. And this is before we saw him in in the Jack Ryan movies of the early '90s. So this is a, it was definitely a change of pace for him, um, and it just it showed some subtlety and showed some some point of view that was very different from the action star that he was. And so maybe like he got some of that, and you know he did some good. He did some good Dude, detail work. You know, that love story he's, obviously was, was wonderful. Like he evo- him and Kelly mm. McGillis did a really good job of obviously if there's going to be some sort of connection when basically like a single strange man and a widowed woman are now basically under the same roof for a period of time with no distractions like television or radio. You know, obviously there's going to be something brewing there. And I think they did a pretty good job avoiding the obvious cliches that would come with that. And I think that, you know, there's some good subtle work. It's good, so good yeah. comparison. I, I can tell you when it first kicked in and I heard that 80s synth soundtrack yeah. at the beginning Vang- I, was, I wish I was, Vangelis did this I was, I was a yeah I was a teenager again it's like oh my god we're back in the 80s yeah and it really let the movie really lets you settle in and slows and calms you right down it prepares mm. you for the country you're gonna enter and then there's like this brutal murder and then like it, it really does set you up it brings you down to that speed and then this happens and then it takes you back there so you're almost in a place where like the murder is intrusive because it's not the way you were set up to feel at the start yeah I feel yeah. and I did feel sorry for that poor kid. Like he's come from an Amish community with his fresh food and everything. And he feeds him that damn dirty water dog. The second he gets to like the city. (laughs) But the thing, one of the things I love is like all the way through it, that like, there's one thing Harrison Ford's really good at. There's that subtle humor and it's there Mm -hmm. in the script, but it's also there in the performances. Like this is subtle humor. It just hits the mark every time. It could be a smirk. It could be a look. It could be a line. No matter what, he nails it every time. He's really, really it's good. Just at it. unbelievably charming. I mean, it's just, mm, it's yeah. just he always, yeah. he's always had that thing. But it's great getting to watch him do more grounded work like this. I mean, I know it's still, it's not a thriller, but it's still like a crime mystery thing. It's not like he's doing some indie <laughs> yeah. weird character driven yeah. thing. But this right. is probably the closest he's ever come to that. <laughs> On to our next film. No, no. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah, he's not. He's exactly. I tell you what. I tell you what. Though, if someone had poked their head in my room and gone, "It's four thirty, time for milking," there would suddenly be a large number of murders in that community. Yeah, I mean that whole scene. <laughs> unless like, you, unless you had already listened that well. to, um, <laughs> unless you had already listened to, listened to Amish Paradise, which may very well have drawn from this film. <laughs> yeah, four thirty in the morning, I'm milking cows. Yeah, come on. it did make sense. I did, that, I did also like. I love the development as well when like that you get to the point where it shows how they're treated in town and the guys like mock them and stuff like that. And that's the, like just before that, when he threatens the guy on the phone, it's like this, I love it when Harrison decides it's time to not be nice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like there's suddenly there's this looming doom coming from the other fucking side. And at any moment, someone's going to get a punch in the nose. Yeah, he punches he has a great the Harrison that, Ford yeah. line. Where they're, <laughs> so they're bullying the Amish. People are like, try, so people, tourists come in and take pictures of the Amish. The Amish. Out. But then the there's Amish. this local. The Amish. Amish. Yeah. Okay, also, I didn't realize just how German they were. They call the Americans the Americans. I was like, you're fucking. They call American. them the get English. The they call them the English. The English. Sorry, the English. <laughs> yeah. The English. Um, John with the no notes correcting me. Thanks a lot, bro. Boom. Okay, and then we have um, <laughs> memory. Um, so anyway, so they're so these teenagers are bullying the Amish, the Amish, whatever the Germans, whatever. And Harrison Ford is like steps up, and the one guy goes, "No, it is not our way." And he goes, oh, "Well, it's my way." Get off my plane! <laughs> and he gets up and he's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's so good. You're just waiting for my family. Where's my family? Yeah. I mean, oh somebody my God, bury him in a bathtub. So 
No, but honestly, yeah. honestly. And then the showdown, and then the, sh- the showdown happened because it has to happen, and it's good. It's all good stuff. The kid is great. It's Lucas Haas. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, he grew up to have a career. Um, I feel bad because I don't think the Amish believe in therapy. I don't think they believe in mental health. Uh, this kid witnessed a very brutal murder, and then he witnessed people trying oh, to yeah, hunt but, him dude, out. Oh, yeah, but dude, how was him. the, uh, how good was that scene written with the grandfather? He was explaining to him, it was about the gun, but it was basically mm. talking about yeah. how, the way they use the theme of witness a literal witness mm, yeah, to a, yeah. a murder a witness to a change in your life witnessing in a re- revelatory spiritual religious way that they are going through and then obviously the, the witnessing of you know what happens to harrison like throughout i, I thought it was like yeah really layered so jeff I, t- I totally agree with what you mean about how like this is a style of filmmaking that isn't super popular anymore but um yeah man i still think it worked I still think it works like yeah, extremely totally. yeah. as a, well. As a rewatch, it definitely comes across great. Yeah. I do have a couple of like there was one questionable shot choice right at the very very beginning where they're shooting this beautiful fields of grass, and then all of a sudden you see this heads and the Amish come up over the grassy hill like the Scottish army and fucking Braveheart. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I don't know about. That. Oh, are you serious? The very <laughs> beginning, the opening mm-hmm. shot. What did you not like about that? Yeah, it just like that one didn't. It I, it struck me as funny instead of. It took me out. That took me out of it. Really? Oh, I love. Yeah, I, love I, the I don't opening. know why. I probably because I thought of that joke. Um, and also, this this film does, however, answer the prominent question in the eighties: uh, Did everyone in the eighties drive around with shotguns in the trunk? Yeah. What's up with the shotguns? That's yes. funny. Yes, they did. That that yes. loading yes. scene, that trunk bullet <laughs> ammunition loading scene, that just that little sequence of them fucking cocking out with all those yep. guns was incredible. And and I believe it was Beverly Beverly Hills Cop takes advantage of that and takes it to the extreme, where they open the trunk <laughs> and it's just fucking loaded with weapons. Dude, how rich was the sexual tension between him and Kelly McGillis when he uh, drinks yeah. that glass of lemonade, like when he just chugs it and hands it back to her? I thought she was gonna just tear him to pieces right there. Were we were we okay with when he just opens the door on her naked <laughs> when she's just standing there taking a shower? Uh, uh, yeah, quote, that, that, a yeah, quote yeah, shower. Yeah, I right. mean that that scene has also had a Family Guy parody done of it. How about the kissing? I mean, that she kissing is was laying it on crazy. She's showering as if she's being watched. I thought he was gonna eat her. He started making <laughs> out. Is that just how Harrison Ford yeah. kisses? He he might have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. Yes, yeah, it's got to I mean, be. Uh, Jesus. It was. It was one night. I was lonely. That oh, was really nice, though. You can always. I mean, I love to, uh, that that last goodbye. Basically, kind of already mentioned it, but like all the close-ups, yeah. like you know, you've done your job in this in this medium. You know, you have done your job when you don't have to have a fucking word said between two characters, and you can just let it sit. Yeah. And they took a long time. That was a that was quite a long moment of them just looking at each other. Two different setups, two different close-ups, and mm. I, I don't. I'm glad they didn't say a word. I wouldn't have done it any other way. And, uh, yeah, I'm wondering is that is that scripted or is that just something Peter Weir knows how to bring? I mean, out clearly, of we talked about it last time, right? Like he, he definitely mm. either is a huge fan of just really grounded, realistic performances. Probably that just because. You, you tend to hear, right, with directors who get performances out of people like that, and they always say, like, how do you get that out of your actors? You tend to hear the same kinds of things on set about how I, I just you create a comfortable set, you want them to take chances, you want them to feel like they can try stuff, and then you start getting things like that that you can't write, you can't plan on that. You can't tell Kelly McGillis, yeah. do this at the eighth second of this close-up. But my God, she did some really interesting stuff, and 
a lot of those moments, especially that last one. Mm. Right. Yep. Yeah. Well, Harrison must have really liked working with Peter Weir because the next movie he made. Now, again, we're talking three Star Wars, two Indiana Jones, Blade Runner. The next movie he does is The Mosquito Coast with Peter Weir. So he basically he said, let's keep this going. He did. Um, he did apparently really enjoy working. It sounds with awesome. Australia. Yeah. Australia. They, they, John yeah, Seal. Dave. Dave. <laughs> shout out to you, Aussies. Um, well, I don't want to give too much more away with the film because I'm hoping people have listened to this and this kind of want to definitely go worth a rewatch. rewatch. So yeah. the last, the last thing I'll say, the last thing I'll say is the tagline of this is actually misleading in the, in a good way. So I'll just read it for everybody. This is this is the t- this is the um the one sentence little little teaser. When a young Amish boy is sole witness to a murder, policeman John Book goes into hiding in Amish country to protect him until the trial. Now, there are some things in there where I'm like, is that really what he was doing? <laughs> but, I mean, I mean yeah, yeah, yeah give it a watch. Said. It's a beautiful film. What was your, did you cool. guys have any standout lines real fast? I mean, any, yeah. any, like, funny things they said to each other? Or... My favorite. Uh, I, I said kept, the one. I like how they kept coming back way. to, this is my way. you look very plain, John Book. I love how the, like, that's the greatest yeah, compliment yeah. you can give to yeah. a person in there. It's the compliment. Yeah, you look very plain. Yeah. You guys look very plain right now. This was a good Thank segment. You. Go see Witness. <laughs> we're going to wrap this up. We're going to come back. And we're going to talk about Kiss Ooh. the Spider Woman. Woo! And we're back! We're back! And we're back! <laughs> oh my gosh. So much fun. How many ice? That, Jeff was. Did you have an ice bucket? <laughs> I brought an ice bucket up here this time. That's true. What's funny is I had to prep for this recording two hours well, what, early, and I didn't want my beer. Yeah, what happened warm. to you? Like, was there you ice in the hotel? Yeah, I just had more ice in there. You sent us a picture, and there was ice already in the bucket, right? Did you? That was like two hours ago. That was hours ago. Yeah, for sure. There's a picture that's going online. That picture is going online. It's already out there. It's already out there. Yeah. Oh my gosh, friends! We are back. We had a great discussion about Witness. Glad you enjoyed it. I guess that's presumptuous of me to assume you enjoyed it, but you're still here. Now we're going to talk. You're about... still here, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now we're going to talk about Kiss of the Spider Woman. An interesting based pick. On... Interesting picture. Very very low budget. Um, it is about two prisoners and an Argentinian prisoner, a gay man and a political prisoner. Gay man narrates the stories of two fake movies and his own life during their time in prison. And obviously it's film, so you get to see the films he's narrating, primarily with his voices. And you get a lot of recurring characters in there. So that's my vague, ominous opening to this movie. Would anybody else like to dive in a little deeper with a little more intense setup and get into it here with our beautiful artistic movie, which did win an Oscar for William Hurt. For best leading actor mm. and first independent, film, first independent film to be nominated for an oscar if i'm not mistaken yeah i saw that too i i thought yeah. all those movies in 1968 were independent films but you know i guess according yeah, I to imdb trivia is determined yeah so i don't um, know what the metric is but william hurt had to forgo his salary because they had no budget for the film um they did film in brazil in sao paulo but it's based on they're, they're in an argentinian prison in the movie um, I imagine Ar- Argentina wasn't too thrilled to let them shoot there, knowing that what it was about. Okay, anyway, who would like to get started? William Hurt, Raul Julia in a prison together. Sonia Braga is awesome. 
as this the Spider-Woman and let's, talk, let's, let's just say this. It definitely, it watches like a play because it's a play adapted from a novel. So this this author, Manuel Puig, Puig, P-U-I-G. Puig. Puig. Yeah. He wrote, Puig. he was in prison, in ex, or exile, exile. Don't know if he's actually a prison or not, but so he wrote two novels while he was in exile. And the first one was Kiss of the Spider-Woman. It was adopted, adapted for the stage in 1983. He wrote the novels in no, the 70s. In 1983, they established, they adapted it as a play. And guess who fucking starred on the West End? A young Mark Rylance and Simon Cowell. Holy shit! Yeah. They, Wait, Simon Cowell? Wait, Simon Cowell's a guy from Amadeus. He's the guy from um, Ace Ventura 2, When Nature Calls. He's the villain, Simon Cowell. He yes. is so fucking Mike awesome. Rylance, Wait, who is Mark who? Rylance, Who's Mark who? Rylan- yeah, Mark Rylance was Valentine, who is Raul Julia wow. in the movie version. And Simon Callow was uh, Melina, who is William Hurt's character. I kind of <laughs> wanted them to switch oh, roles, shit. to be honest with you. But when I looked that up, I was like, holy shit. Because this is also, oh uh, I, know, I knew this was a play, so it watched like a play. And I also knew they had made a musical out of this. So yeah. I was kind of going into oh, this. They? I don't know how you guys went into it. I knew it was going to feel like a play. So, you know, you kind of just get in that mind. I also knew the story about how he narrates the movies and stuff. So it worked well. I thought this was one of those times where a movie adaptation uh, out of a stage version, they did a really good job of taking you away from the confines of the prison cell. So it was really nice to escape. And I thought there was a really a lot of really great commentary on very complicated sexual identity and political identity issues it was all about for me it was all about identity like i don't know there was something very intense to me about having one other human be your reflection right i know that sounds kind of obvious it's a prison movie but they didn't see any other Mm -hmm. prisoners we never got we never got scenes in the yard the way they do with shawshank redemption and stuff it was just them in their sell their room together having to bounce all this stuff off of each other and obviously they're getting hurt they're starving there's there's a whole plot underneath William Hurt Molina's character getting poisoned yeah is like turning against them so I don't know did you be real with me like tell me right now straight up did it feel too much like a play to you with the way it was written or did it work for you guys Dave at first it really felt like a play um, I was well actually I was I didn't know I thought I knew there was a book I didn't know they'd made a play um, I knew they made the musical I found that out about halfway through um, but it felt like a play but I didn't mind I really liked the character progression and the bond that was growing between the two and it was it was a movie that's essentially focused on those two people in the cell so I didn't mind staying with them yeah no, I feel the same way, dude. And we should say really quickly... Uh, Will, William Hurt. It's William Hurt, yeah, in that? Yeah. yeah. Gives a yeah. phenomenal Oscar-winning like, performance, performance, in my opinion, yeah. And he, he also won the uh, Best Actor at the Cannes Film Festival that year, and this film was nominated for the Palme d'Or that year at Cannes. I have to, I have to ask, did your, did the version you watch have audio issues? It didn't have... Well, like, I was going to ask you, yeah. do, you you think they were, yeah. do you think they were I issues? Echoes, yeah. I don't think that was an issue. I think that was on purpose. Right. I no, think so that, too. I don't know. No, there was there were phasing issues. There was all sorts of weird shit going on when I, I watched it. No, I, think, really, I think it they, really took me out of it. I know, I know what you mean, but I feel like that was just a really low budget attempt at trying to put an effect. Because the Wait. first time I noticed it was when William Hurt says the line. Literally, he says, "Now this is the important part." 
and he starts yeah. beginning Dave, narrating the movie. And I mean, then that's, it takes that's out- one of the it's one of the dangerous things to doing that to sound because if you do it like badly, in my opinion, that was done badly. It sounds like a mistake. Yeah, no, I, 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 I you're, you you're not wrong. You're not wrong about that, but they spent months dubbing this movie at the end. Why wouldn't they have just dubbed those lines? Because that well, a lot of that was very easily to do voiceover, especially the way they filmed this movie. You could have very easily done voiceover. And but then even, just gotten a even the voiceover shot. itself was occasionally like there was phasing. That's what I'm was saying. I, that, that's how audio. you think it has to be intentional. There was a lot. Of, it sounded like mm. a lot of their room tones and not necessarily all because the phasing in the dialogue was weird to me. It sounded like they were using a lot of slowed down room tones because I could hear the little tinny echoey thing now that being said i also was thinking mm. the whole time dave and i are bothered by this 99.9 percent of people who watch this movie have no idea that why that's happening so they probably thought it was just an, yeah. an intended effect yeah in my opinion it did the movie a disservice they could have left that out and it would have been a perfectly fine film i think so too or they could have done maybe a different effect like put a little more if they wanted to dub that in an echoey room to actually create like a large theatrical space, I felt like they were trying to create like now we're moving mm. into a theatrical space. Right. But I know what you mean. Um, it was the really funny thing was I like when I watched it, I really enjoyed the character narratives, but I didn't enjoy the movie within a movie. And it wasn't until about three hours later, I sat there and went, Oh fuck. He's the woman. Yeah. In both of the stories. And it it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, oh, I've misinterpreted this whole damn film. And I I went back and had to think about it. And it it gained that because like three hours later, it just hit you. I love that he... Sorry, go ahead. No, go for it, Jeff. No, no, you finish. Finish your thought. I love that he... I'm glad you said that because one of my favorite moments was when... This is the character saying it. This is not John Say, the podcast host. When um, Valentine says, you gaze in your fantasies. Don't you ever learn that you can't actually escape reality that way. And Molina says, do you have a key to that motherfucking door? Cause I'll follow you right now. I'll walk out until then. Do not judge me for how I choose to escape. And of course there's a lot of commentary within this about storytelling and movie making and all that stuff. Mm. So I love that he was directly confronted to it uh, by it with dialogue from Valentin. And then his entire lament and his biggest obstacle while he's either, I think he was being honest, uh, Molina's character, William Hurt's character, is that he doesn't actually have a life that he's proud of living. He lives in his ideas and his dreams of romance and stuff. So I thought it was so powerful that at the end, almost in silence, that whole last sequence when he's out of jail, he really doesn't talk. He has that one little yeah. scene with his mom, but it's mostly That's him it. just very gently accepting that that's what it takes sometimes to, to get the life you want, the beauty of the romance of the life that you think is worth living. You're going to have to actually come up against it and risk your life. If the stakes Mm. are that high, how amazing and Jeff, I'll pass it off to you after this. How amazing was his, the look on his face after he gets shot at the Mm. end, when he just understood, he finally became that, that heroine that he was longing yeah. to be. There was no yeah. acting at all. There was no performance. I thought it was smart. Also, that, I don't even know if they had that way, conversation. But That doesn't give away the, too much, but it, I do have a big note here all in caps for both of you. Do not give away the twist in the yeah. middle of this. Um, yeah. No, for sure. Because sure. that, um, that twist got me hook, line, and sinker, and I feel like it's worth watching the movie just for the fact that right. you do not even know what's coming. Yeah. 
Well, uh, no, I'll take I'll take the 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 reins from there, and I'll back it up a little bit just to put some context into exactly what you're talking about, John. So, um, so William Hurt's character Melina opens with a narration of this film, um, and so back to your point originally of do you think it kind of read like a play? A lot of plays open with a lush, colorful monologue. It's just a person talking on stage and you don't know who the characters are. And so eventually you're going to figure this out, but they give you some leeway at the beginning of a show, right? You get a little wiggle room to just sort of do whatever you want because you have the audience hooked. They're there to see the show. And so he opens with this narration of this film and you kind of, they kind of give you some um, cut-ins of them in the prison, but you don't really see their face. You don't see much about them. And it turns out it's a Nazi film. It's a German film, and he's talking about the colors and the, the woman's lips, and he talks about her firm breasts and all like the, the crazy details that are just like very play-like, right? You're in the theater, you're trapped, and they're talking about breasts, and you know, it's like everybody in the audience could get uncomfortable, but you're like, oh, well, we're here, so this is what we're doing. Um, and it took me a second to get into it, which is back to Dave's point. Um, and I'm kind of like, oh, God, is it just going to be this for two hours? Is it just going to be narration and basically two people just sharing stories and, and talking about fake films that aren't real um and the depth of everything that's going on sinks in if you let it is what i would say to our audience oh yeah because you just because I, I and part of me deep down inside was thinking about the fact that they made this musical with cheetah rivera um and brett carver and anthony Cravello, boreas and huge success play obviously and I was like, why would they adapt this? It's just, it just, is it just because of the idea of being in prison and talking about movies and they wanted to put that on stage? And then you realize that William Hurt's playing the men in the, the Nazi film. He plays a Nazi. And then you realize from Valentin's character, who's Raul Julia, who says, this is a Nazi propaganda film that you are obsessed with, this film that is in favor of fascism and Nazism. And it's this romance between a Nazi. Um, uh, captain or whatever and his mistress in in Nazi Germany like fuck you you asshole and of course this is a political prisoner uh, is mm. Raul Julia so it packs an extra punch for him um, because if anything Raul Julia would be you know on path with the anti-Nazis um, basically like the anti-establishment the resistance um, right? the resistance of, of what was happening in Argentina at the time um, and so then they have now all of a sudden you have context and you still don't really know anything about these characters other than the description, which is William Hurt is a homosexual and um, Raul Julia is a political prisoner. And at first, well, actually, I guess not at first, but now at second, I'm sitting there. And I'm like, OK, what is just this, is this just sort of like a, a gay stereotype? And is because they keep saying two men that are so different from each other. And I was like, well, I'm sure there are if all we know about him is he's a gay man then that that's not the opposite of a revolutionary in my book i need more context you know even even though it was done in 1985 i was like that still doesn't seem enough and then you realize that it's it's so much more than that and to what dave said which is just the nail right on the fucking head which honestly took me a really long time to figure it out is that he is a woman trapped in a man's body he's not just a gay man or a gay stereotype he is the spider woman and he just happens to be in a man's body in a man in an all male obviously prison um, and for, and anyway, the moral of the story is no matter what your takeaway is, the more you watch it, the more it soaks in and the more con like concepts and the more theme and the more depth 
And the more you you are not only rooting for these characters, but it's just like everything is just fleshing out and coming to light. And there are multiple movies coming to play. And then you realize that it's actually sort of an anti-Nazi movie because the woman runs away and the captain is willing to leave the Nazi party for her. Um, and so just all of these things are happening. And it just, it takes you on a ride. So it's like without meaning to, as a viewer from me, by resisting, I actually opened myself up to be to receiving more information than I was expecting, if that makes any sense, right? Mm, There's does, no way dude. out. If you're watching this I movie, mean, yeah, as, ahead, a, as a caveat to like people who are going to watch it, this is not a movie you watch for fun. This is a movie you watch if you want to see fantastic performances and great filmmaking. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and low and, grade uh, it's ca- very art housey yeah. it's not showy the, the, it's just... and one thing i really love is the counterpoint between reality and fantasy uh yeah. where you embrace fantasy in the face of a horrific situation really reminded me of other great works like pan's labyrinth mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. yeah i, mean, well, I love pan's storytelling had way more polished than this pan's labyrinth had mm. more money and more this oh, yeah. was a lot of the realism, and, and back to our performances, not to cut you off, John, I'll go right back to you. A no, lot of the performances, there's no effects, there's no costume, there's no yeah. CGI. No. It's them, I think they filmed, and it's them, and this makeshift movies that they're And I think narrated. they filmed, it's, it's I think really they, I was trying to read some about this. I think they tried to film a lot of this in a, in a way so that they could play these things live, so that they weren't just doing a single camera coverage in the room, so that they could actually respond to each other, uh, which is great, because right. that set's very small. Um, there are so yeah. long scenes without cuts, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I love that the I, patience. It kind of gets you in that place. So the reason I, someone someone we haven't sat on long enough is Raul Julia. Like I could yeah. watch that man all day. I mean, it's just great He's seeing great. him again. Like that, he he yeah. died way too young. I I, I remember before yeah. I was into acting, like any storytelling, movies, anything. When I was a, a pretty young person, I saw some older movies with him in there. Obviously, we saw The Addams Family when we were kids and stuff. But I remember he was one of my favorite actors when I was a kid. And I just remember thinking, mm. who is that? Like, he's just because yeah, yeah. he wasn't like a superstar, but he's got this very unique type. And yeah, he yeah, was when, he's, when he's on camera, you're paying attention. Yeah, I mean, the like whole... He, he captures you. When he shits his Gomez pants. Gomez Adams in the 1991 yeah. Adams that Family. Whole shits, he when he shits his pants, that whole scene is beautiful. Yeah. The two of them, the work, it's so close. Yeah. It's so tight. When he's upset with him and... And they eventually end up making love at one point. Unbelievable. The intimacy, mm. the way they come together. Right. Uh, the reason I opened this up we, with, sorry. does it matter for the play thing? Like for me, my abacus, whenever I see plays turn into film, I always go into it thinking, because I love theater too. Jeff and I and Dave all have lots of experience in theater. So this is not a, a preferential thing. It just, it just is. There are certain constraints to certain mediums. Whether we like it or not, there is tons of imagination. There's tons of emotion in theater, but most of that is communicated through words. So you have long monologues like Jeff was talking about. A lot of it is delivered with an intellectual, you know, loquacious dialogue usually. It usually comes from people talking to the audience because there are people in the back row who can't see the expressions in their eyes. And no matter, you know, how good the the technical aspects of it. You're basically trying to get story from words. So I thought this was genius because it crossed, it, it got into the end zone for me because one, it has the vehicle of the movie thing from taking it away mm-hmm. from just the narration of the movie to letting you literally experience the movie. And I think they do that in the play as well, the way they stage it theatrically. But I felt that it was within itself, within the storytelling itself, because he it's very meta. He talks about storytelling in movies throughout this whole thing, the, the author. I thought it really pulled off 
doing exactly what you just described, Jeff, which is it's so cool that you were able to observe that within yourself because I had a similar experience where I was a little nervous that it was just going to be two guys talking to each other in a cell the whole time, which mm -hmm. even if you know we're a film podcast, maybe I shouldn't be resistant to that, but you kind of can't help it. It's going to be, it might feel a little confined. And I thought the way they brought it using not just the obvious tactics like like going away to the movie and literally escaping or at the end of the movie when one of the characters gets out of jail, but just emotionally with the arc of what happens to both of them, it becomes way more than what they are talking about to each other. You start getting to really sense who they are and what they are choosing to show to each other in their conversations. And I don't know, I thought it really... Thought it really crossed over into a place that I think film does very, very naturally. Kind of throwing back to witness how you can just hold a long close up and somebody can tell you everything you need mm -hmm. to know. I thought this script and the filmmaking, but I thought this script actually surprised me about halfway, maybe two thirds through, where I was beginning to not care at all about the fact that they were still alone in a cell because it had transformed into something strictly emotional. It was no, I didn't even care what they were talking about. Yeah. It was about their relationship and it was about what was in their way as individuals, which is, that's that's the mm -hmm. movie making, right? That's it. And, and let's yeah. just say there's a, there's a chance at one point in the movie that one might get out of prison. And did you have the same experience as me where you were kind of like- Is this real? I kind of hope they don't <laughs> get out. I kind of hope they stay. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. like you're finally I, like- yeah, because we're able to see the movie and because because they also do narrate some of their past lives as well. So you get to see them w walk through the streets, for instance. I wasn't at a loss for the cell rapport that they had. So I didn't necessarily want them to leave so that I, the viewer, it's not like Room with Brie Larson where you're like, get out, whatever you do. Like the whole movie is like, get the fuck out of the room. This was <laughs> like, this is like, I was saying that I was like, oh no, but then. But what is the what is the movie going to be anymore? You know what right, I mean? so, There's still stuff here. So that's here. that's kind yeah. of what I'm saying. That's dude, this is God, this is well written. That's exactly what I'm talking about. If all three of us and I'm sure everyone who 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 enjoyed it felt that same effect, if they get you at that point when you're thinking, "No, I want you to stay together because what does that mean? That means that all that matters is their relationship." The world outside mm, that prison right. even 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 at that point knowing what you yeah. know which is which the twist, twist when I'm going to reveal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I didn't even want like a kiss goodbye friendship. I didn't even want like that like friendly stuff. Like I just wanted them to keep talking to each other and just keep being You know, there. just just one um, more meta Dave, thing. I feel like I cut you just off. one more meta any... thing. Oh, I want to I want to say that just the the period on that. It's just so meta. They knew exactly what they were doing. Got the confidence in it. The night after one of them may or may not leave, they they have uh, a physical relationship that again, one of them is does not identify as is gay or transsexual the other one does but they do have a romantic night together before one of them may or may not leave we'll let you figure that out and in the scene in the morning perfectly timed with where we are emotionally with everything we're talking about melina's character william hurt's character says can we please not talk can we not say anything can we just mm -hmm. be in this moment and it just it just landed where they're like they have gotten over that hump right. of the play <laughs> thing they are yeah. in this place now where we are yeah. just with them and we really don't want them to leave each other god it was good <laughs> mm. 
Yeah, that's where Maury Eston started playing really? the piano right there. He <laughs> heard that line. He said, "This is a musical. Let's go." Don't talk. Maury I got an underscore. I forgot it was Maury Eston. Thank you. So, Maury yeah, I think the Dave, only the only thing that took me out of this whole film, and it was in the film within the film section, was where they ran that woman down like fucking Wally Coyote <laughs> with the car. No, but, but, was, but yeah, well, no, the we, choice. But you know why the choice they did to run that, her though, down, or film. the way yeah. they ran her down? Are you talking about like the the way they ran her down? They flat splatted her with a car, like <laughs> Wiley Coyote. Does. It was so yeah. pretty funny, though. I mean, they did that old school. I thought they nailed that stylized forties, fifties. Yeah, really I did. Mean, they, yeah. I was very impressed. But I was, I was straight away. I was like, oh, it's a fucking Roadrunner cartoon. Like, Jeff, I wanted to ask you, especially I wanted from to... the point of view of someone who was like overly like taking the uh i don't know how to say this correctly the like um the the lush like beauty elements and highlighting them like the lips of sonia sonia braga was amazing mm. she doesn't actually have uh, a scene in reality and she actually plays like four different characters in the film because she's I, I don't know if she's marta but she's definitely is it who's there's definitely elsa and then she's the other the girl she's the girlfriend too the one at the end i think sonia braga and the spider woman I think she's, I think all, she's of them. all of them. Anyway, yeah, I think she's Martha. What, and... Whatever. Anyway, what were, you, what were you saying, John? I wanted to ask you if the uh, what was it back in the day? If that was supposed to be realistic at all, her uh, her famous infamous cabaret performance that gets Virgo to fall in love with her in the movie within the movie, and she doesn't sing a single note; it just speak sings, and she's a she's an iconic cabaret performer who quote sings this song. Do you think people back then just? just didn't sing as much as they sing nowadays as a singer yourself. Yeah. They, everybody, everybody sang back then is the difference. What do you mean? Everybody sang, but they all, they all did it with personality. It was never about the actual like tonal quality. It was all about like, if you could hold a room and be entertaining and then uh, people who actually like trained in voice were like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, why is this yeah. person walking around? It's basically like the, the seductress. That's like, and then you walk here's the room. And people are like, Fuck yes. yes. And people have actually <laughs> taken lessons. People who took lessons are like, come on, I just fucking killed Embraceable You. Like, I on. loved how they filmed. Yeah. And I mean, which while we're on that topic, let's let's bring it to the next point. You've made this wonderful, fantastic, emotional film. Why yeah. the fuck would you turn it into a musical? Honestly, dude, I've never seen the musical, but who, like who do, you haven't seen the musical? Okay, let let me just uh, play you a segment here. This is a segment from Kiss of the Spider Woman, the musical. The musical. <laughs> So you stick to your side and I'll stick to mine. Never, ever cross this line. Fine, but the pot. How about the pot? What about the pot? It's on your side. So what? So when I have to use the pot, I intend to use the pot. So right. what? That's an Oh my God, dude. That is, that, uh... Yeah, that's bad. That's you know, bad. it's a shame. The it's a shame because there's fuck. a song, Marta, when he talks about Marta, that's actually... Marta's a beautiful quite song. quite pretty, but it basically has only one phrase in it that's really beautiful when he finally gets to the ending. Um, also, Cheetah Rivera. I think, she did one for this. Well, Anthony Cravello won a I Tony think, for Valentine. I don't. I think I want to say Brett Carver won as well for Molina. But yeah, Cheetah Rivera cleaned, was, this cleaned up at the Tonys. It did 960 performances. Went, like, was there some mess hysteria in honestly, the voting dude, system? That, what, what you just played right there. <laughs> it could have been a bad year. What you year. just played right there. That was you know trash. What, is, what you just played was bad. Maury, that's bad. Maury, yes, yeah, that's, that's bad. John and I met Maury Aston, by the way. take a drink. If you're listening, buddy, you know what's you know what's John. A, John, yeah, you, the biggest shame, John, you met him too, met right? Him. You met him. him. The biggest shame about what you just played is that it spits in the face of all of the things we just said about how well it comments on itself. 
I know. Like that, that literally yeah. just what said, we're just going to tell you everything uh, about how we feel. We're gonna but there's not going to be any mystery. There's not yeah. going to be a discovery through the storytelling. We're just going to tell you how upset we are about how we're going to share our no piss Here's for that. all That's... the subtext down your fucking throat. Like, yeah. yeah. So here's the thing. So Moriathan wrote the fantasy really well, but he can't write reality, which you could say about a lot of musicals, all right? If you wanted to know what Hamilton's day-to-day life was, it was probably pretty shitty. Lynn needed to take some <laughs> some experimentation here, okay? Yeah. If so you the takeaway from this boring. is give the musical a miss, but like watch the movie if you want to see good songs. some phenomenal yeah. f- like filmmaking let's do it let's let's get our yeah that's it for kiss the spider woman give it a watch there it's is beautiful. a uh, put, put yeah this is a a i don't know where you guys watch it but i found this for only 2.99 for a, a cheap a one dollar less rental on amazon, on amazon. Yeah. yeah it's a yeah give it a yeah. shot it's worth yeah. it if you want to watch a serious drama i really enjoyed um, it right mm. Witness is on Showtime. Yes. This is on the Amazon for rent. Yes. Okay, Dave, let us come up with our new random year for next oh, week. It's random year time. Yeah, yeah. Random right. year time. Let me just bring it up, oh, and oh, we're going to go That with... was so bad. You and your pot over this there. This is my pot. You don't cross this line. <laughs> oh, Jeff, you're going to be happy. I'm going to or I'm not going to be happy? You're going to be happy. Okay, why? Because it's all going to be streamable, so I don't have to rent anything, or what? Possibly, yeah. 2016. Okay, yes! Okay, this is good! Okay, we'll see you guys after the break. We will decide what three movies we are doing after we pee. Okay. Just stick with us. We're back. We're back. Guys, we are back. We have chosen our three movies from the year 2016, which by the year, by the way, wow, the alcohol is just starting at me. By the oh, way, yeah. I didn't even buzz you that much. I know. <laughs> anyway, by the way, 2016 was a fantastic year in film. All overall, I don't know if like the big films, you don't, you know what? We keep this keeps coming up with our podcast where we talk about movie years, and you can't help but talk about the Oscars. Somehow we've avoided mentioning the movie um, Out of Africa, which was the big film movie from 1985, won all these Oscars. Robert Redford, Meryl Streep did not age well. It's so long, it's really boring now. Beautiful movie. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> beautiful movie. Beautiful 2016 is going to be remembered. 2016 is going to be remembered as La La Land versus Moonlight, and everybody's going to be like, "Movies are dead." There were so many interesting movies this year, and we are going to do yeah, three of them. Don't get me week. started on La La Land. Thank God we didn't do that. Three movies next week. Oh fuck you! John, it's a good time. Movie. John and I Come liked on. it. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. I love Moonlight too. Anyway, we're going to yeah. finish up our redemption movie of the week. And then we'll announce the movies we're doing next week at the end of this podcast. But first we have to talk about European vacation. Now, uh-huh. during our, during our coronavirus franchise face-off, we allowed everybody at the end to vote in snubs of franchises that did not make it into our original 16 seated bracket. And we asked people to bring in three <laughs> movies, three movie franchises to include into our list. So obviously everybody wanted Bond. Everybody wanted I don't know, but somehow Dark Knight. Uh, Dark Dark Knight. Dark Knight. And then somehow National Lampoons. Yeah, we did there not are, see this coming. We did not see that coming. So there's National Lampoons Vacation was first. European Vacation was second. Christmas Vacation was third. And Vegas Vacation was fourth. 
And then there's Island we... Vacation as well. John, don't, never ever watch, don't ever no. watch Island Vacation. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not going to count... Didn't weren't there other ones like if it wasn't Van Wilder National Lampoon? Doesn't matter. Or was that an America? It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter. Those are the four. Chevy Chase and all four of them. Dave and I were geeking out about them because we liked them a lot. I love Christmas Vacation. John had never seen them. He was mad at everybody for voting it in, even though he was happy that there was a comedy on the list, but he was mad. Anyway, I <laughs> mentioned in that podcast for the the ardent supporters of us may remember that European Vacation, which I mentioned weeks ago, without even being prompted, I had no idea they were going to choose this. And all of a sudden, the first thing I thought was the cold open, which is, it's not technically a cold open because it comes after the opening credit roll, but the opening of European Vacation is one of the most interesting openings I've ever seen in a movie. Now, context. The first vacation they go to wally worlds in america it's a drive they drive there whatever so it's chevy chase and his wife and then the two kids who are always different in every movie that they're always rusty and um i forget the girl's name what's the girl's name audrey audrey but the, the actors are always different um this one I was like, okay, cool. So vacation was good. Now they need to go to Europe. How are they going to get them to Europe? It's it's everything, right? Christmas vacation, it's basically like, come on, the family's coming. Let's go get the tree. How are we going to get them to Europe? You know what they do? They put them on a game show and they don't even announce it. The movie just opens with a game show called, honestly, I don't even know what they said. It's Pig, Pig and a Poke. poke? Yeah. Pig, Pig and a poke, poke, right? I wrote down, I said, is it Pig and a Poke? I can't even understand what they're saying. And they go, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Pig and a Poke, where we have the Griswold family. And they're all dressed in pig costumes. And they're going up against this other family. And the winner of this weird-ass game show, which is similar to The Price is Right or Family Feud or whatever. They do take some pot shots at those hosts, too. They take some pot shots at all the hosts. It's very yeah. it's very satirical. It, it is like an SNL a bitch yeah the ho the host makes out with his, with clark griswold's wife clark griswold is chevy and chase his daughter. makes out with her and then his daughter who i'm the whole time i'm like whoa is she 18 this would never fly post 1985 no, she's not she's not 18 yeah long story short surprise surprise they win the contest and then the prize is you get to go to europe that is one of the most interesting ways of getting a family to go on their european vacation imaginable and then the rest of the movie because they're contest winners no like all of their reservations get fucked up because like it, it the whole thing comes back to this weird ass game show it is so funny i thought it was a really interesting way of getting over there and i thought it was brilliant that's basically what the movie's about they go to london then they go to paris then they go to berlin for Oktoberfest, and then they end up in rome four cities in europe the griswolds who wants to go for also you know i love anybody listening to this podcast you know i love a short tight comedy this is 90 like 95 minutes tops this movie flies after mm -hmm. the game show we're talking about 70 minutes four cities yeah. bam let's fucking go 70 yeah 70 minutes of it is good <laughs> oh dave okay forget it this is this is this is a positive yeah. film, film no, podcast. kick it so off kick it off dave yeah we're gonna dave, hit it Oh no, John's I, gonna no, shit look, on this too. Go fuck yourself. Look, look I, t I tell you what, it's it, like I do love this. All these films, I have a special place for them. European Vacation, uh, about I want to say sixty or seventy percent of the comedy aged well for me. 
Um, but it definitely has a who's who of British comedy in this. And I grew up on British yeah, comedy. Yeah, Eric Idle, come um, on. Like, I, I mean, Eric Idle, they, apparently they almost cast Rick Mayle as well, but he was okay. deemed not famous enough. Jesus. Um, and a lot of Americans probably wouldn't know who he was. Uh, look up the young ones, guys. You'll love it. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, the guy so you're talking in, about the guy who keeps getting hurt? Yeah. Is that no, that, yeah, that's, that's Eric Idle. It's Eric Idle. But it was, it was, they originally wanted Rick Mayo, but the, the studio said he wasn't famous enough. Um, the the uh, the guy in the bathroom, when she's in the bathtub and he, like Clark, yeah. Clark walks out and the other guy walks in and she thinks Clark's still in the bathroom and she's like coming onto him, that is a very, very young Hagrid from Harry Potter. Oh, my Whoa. God. I didn't even reckon. That's yes. Robbie Coltrane? Dude, it is. It's a young Hagrid. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't say a word, <laughs> right? And it's like silent moment, yeah. And I swear, like, there's some amazing messages in this. It's like no dad listens to their family, and gluttony is good. And <laughs> everyone who's ever had their photos leaked on the internet can fuck right off because this movie warned you in '85. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you know what? A, that, that's if the they... one. And sadly, that is the one piece of plot that exists in this movie. <laughs> If I get the same kind of promotion that she got for my snuff film, then I don't think I'm going to be too ashamed. She had a billboard. She had them shit plastered all over Italy. La Donna Nozionna. Yeah, yeah John, John didn't have a snuff film till he went to North Carolina. So just... <laughs> no, it's coming out soon. Dave's cutting nice. it together right now. I thought this, I had a fun time. Dave, are you, I want to keep going. Dude. I thought I she like just had this. a lazy eye. My God! I mean, all, all right, okay, so hold this on. Is my... Get, you guys are insane. On the way to <laughs> Europe, the the stewardess asks Clark if he wants a Coke, and he says, "Yes, would I would like love a Coke." <laughs> and he says, "Would you like that in the can?" And he looks to the bathroom and says, "No, I'll have it right here." Like, come on, that's kind of funny. <laughs> it is, and then it is he a great gets... that, But that's the thing. Like the this screenplay is it's it's about an hour and of individual sketches like they are ridiculous yeah, on the plane they're ridiculous in london it's they're national ridiculous. Was a comic but, book but it's it's like after about an hour the the sketch nature starts to run out of steam and you realize there's really no plot or goal in this movie except they're moving from country to country and acting like an asshole that's it though the, the thing is that each city gets less and less time because they know they got to start moving it so Germany's yeah. good. By the time they finally get to Germany, well, first of all, he, they get to London and he gets in three car accidents within 10 minutes, all right? Like within, <laughs> literally on yes. the way down the street, he's on the wrong side of the road, obviously. So a little bit of dumb, you know, cheap humor. And then he just starts getting in all these car accidents. He hits people, cars, fountains. He doesn't know how to use a traffic circle. You know, simple stuff. The but traffic the circle gag Germany, is amazing. I love the traffic yeah. circle gag. By the time like he gets to I love, Germany, I love which the, the first hour of this. It just kind of wears out after by, that. By the time he gets to Germany, he gets up to like an Oktoberfest thing. He's wearing lederhosen, and somehow the German dance turns into a huge fight where Clark gets thrown from the stage. He says, me and my family are looking for sex because he heard that the word six is sex and he doesn't know how to pronounce it. He has a family reunion with somebody else's family. There's funny stuff in this. You there goddamn is funny stuff in this. And, and that is all the funny stuff. And then it stops. Yeah. Yeah. John, no, I'm glad you said. So this is like my first one of the time funniest things. The, one of the funniest things in this movie was when they're like, "We can do the Louvre in 15 minutes," and I'm watching it with yeah. my wife, and she was fucking horrified. So like, she lives to go to the Louvre, and they're like, they've just said they're going to do it in 15 minutes. It takes like seven days to do that venue. Dave, 
That's the joke. Is it a ha ha? That's the funniest thing I've ever seen joke. No, but they said, oh, we got 15 minutes. We got to see this. And it's like, okay, well, they're going to go full Ferris Bueller at the Louvre. Move it along. I don't want to see them spend an hour in the Louvre personally watching this movie. So do it in 15 minutes. Get the fuck out of there. Let's go. We got to move. I'm totally there fine with that. I'm just saying Ferris Bueller did it. I think that was a, first of all, I didn't know uh, John Hughes wrote this. I thought that was very interesting. I didn't know he was involved with these stories. So I didn't realize he, he wrote He actually these. did um, like money, believe it or not. He loved money. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, that's that not inaccurate. <laughs> didn't he have something else come out this year that's huge? Anyway. Um, 16 Candles came out the year before. And Breakfast Club, duh, yeah. Yeah, Breakfast yeah, Club. Yeah, Breakfast Club, yeah. He was killing it, dude. So this is also an Amy Heckerling film. So she made Clueless, Look Who's yeah, Talking. Yeah, she did Fast, well. Fast Times, Ridge My High. She made some great She put a films. lot of tits in this movie. There are a whole lot of naked women yeah, in this movie. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's what i That depends what channel you watch it on. Oh, true. That I did French like that one moment. <laughs> did you guys laugh where Chevy clearly says, Fuck, and they've just dubbed. I, I have a note. I have a note for that. <laughs> darn it all. Yeah, his his tire blows out, and it like they they dubbed in darn it all. But you can clearly see him lean back and just let loose with, oh fuck. fuck. <laughs> I wish they would. I think I would have laughed harder. So this is this is. I had a fun well, time. That, I mean, that was I'm so at, they could. They was so they could maintain their rating because like uh, I I believe yeah, this was a PG the, when it was released, and you're PG-13. only yeah you're only allowed one fuck in a PG thirteen movie. Well, they should have used it, dude. I don't think they used it anyway. No, they, uh, they used it earlier because his wife dropped one. Oh, nice. Nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. When she got upset with the La yeah. Donna Nozione. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I had a smile on my face the whole time. I did. I did not. I I, I enjoyed this. I had I had a good time. However, I, do, I think I do agree with Dave that like the way that Chevy's comedy usually works that, that I love so much, which is why I love Caddyshack and I love his character in Caddyshack a lot. I feel like when he... When this movie would set up the jokes, I was laughing. Like, uh, come on, kids, we gotta see the, the the museum closes in fifteen minutes. <laughs> I started laughing, and then the actual execution of the gag was not as funny to me. I felt that way about all the clothing montages. There's a whole lot of montages of them like mm-hmm. trying on stuff and yeah, seeing true. things. The setups were always funnier to me than the payoffs because I think Chevy and his world that he creates kind of lives in that dry kind of you figure it out kind of yeah. comedy. Like if you don't get the member, joke, like, fuck you. Yeah, but I did. <laughs> hey, I know, we've fun. already used up our funds for this podcast, it. right? <laughs> this is not a PG thirteen like podcast. This is an explicit warning. His him getting upset in the the uh, the circle. What's it called? Jesus. The, the traffic circle. The traffic circle. The traffic circle. Uh, or in other countries, a roundabout. That was funny. Yeah, roundabout. <laughs> I definitely laughed when he, you know, with the dancing and the when that girl again, she was she was topless for no reason at all. But when she was like, "We they haven't rung that bell since yes. the last hanging or, or whatever that line is." He was he was seventeen at the time. Wow, and so they couldn't actually film that scene in America. <laughs> wow. It was but okay. The girl, was, Audrey had to have been 18, though, right? Because she got made out with by an 80 year old man. She had to be. Oh, my God. I that was gross. So. You know, that was, you know what? I also thought about it. I just have to say it since we talked about Raul Julia. That, that actor is the original Gomez Adams in the Adams Family sitcom on CBS, the guy who played the game show host. So I kind of want to watch uh, Adams Family funny. now that I just watched right. Gomez Adams make out with yeah. a fucking 14 year old and Raul Julia make out with a, a gay Argentine prisoner. 
Okay. Where I'm at. Yeah. I don't know, you guys. What are you, what are you feeling? Get, get, how much is there to say about this movie? What, get what out of there. There's some say? funny shit. Okay. There is some wait, funny we shit. Didn't, we didn't finish the gag. The gag John was talking about where he's making out with this European chick and she just, for no reason, just takes her top off and the bell starts ringing and they she, go, she, she goes, uh-oh, they haven't rung that bell in hundreds of years. And he goes, what does it mean? And she goes, someone's going to be hanged. And yes. Rusty goes, Dad! Dad! <laughs> That's right, well, funny. Or oh, what about was, this? What about at funny. the dinner table? That was funny. At the dinner that was table. Where the, come on. But the, the problem the is, dinner is table like the, the, the one time they kicked in a plot was. We're talking over each other. Epic segments. Say yeah. it. Say it. Yes. Thank you. See, that was as far as it should have gone for me with things like that. Like, I thought that German sequence was. The Germany sequence was the best it got. When they got to Italy and they introduced a, a new plot. Yes. With the whole. Th- that was like, what are they doing? It was just so unnecessary. Yeah, that's Keeping why they finished the movie so fast. The movie ended <laughs> quick. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was. It, I'm not. It was not good, weird. you guys. I'm, I'm just gonna say, just gonna say it was, Come it, on, it's, it's a fucking a comedy. Comedy. For, you're you're sitting smiled. here talking about plot. It's a fucking comedy. That's fair. I know, but come on. I've rewatched. I mean, some, I've rewatched like you, some great comedies multiple times. I don't think I ever. I'm not going to feel a need or I mean, a desire to rewatch Bride, this. Are Bridesmaids you? had a plot. It wasn't a good one, but it had one. <laughs> hate on bridesmaids we already did that two weeks ago hey european vacation when they're at the table and they're talking about did you see this in paris did you see the louvre did you see the eiffel tower and they're like no we mean to because you find out because you know as the audience that the the american couple in paris is just having sex yes. on their honeymoon for the whole time dad, he's got his hands rusty says hey dad he's got her head on her tits he's like rusty leave him alone french culture is you know they, they behave differently to whatever and then rusty goes hey dad i think he's gonna pork her and he goes he's not gonna pork her russ just to eat your lunch and then he looks at her and goes well he may pork her just to eat <laughs> come on that's funny the dad and the son I are mean, saying i'm not he's gonna, gonna disagree. Pork i'm gonna her. disagree with you because as anyone who listens to this podcast know i did that scene with my dad in a restaurant for real so oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no no i totally understand dude of course i agree with you you look I, for the next I, gag I that's the thing mind. with bridesmaids we love bridesmaids not because we give a shit about the plot or whether or not she's gonna end up with you the irish bridesmaids. cops <laughs> no no but i mean collectively as society people like people say bridesmaids is so good why is it good because of the gags they don't care about the plot they really don't care if rose Byrne is gonna have her like if she's gonna come to at the end of the movie they don't care they just want to they want to get to gag to gag and they want the best setup possible this the the highs aren't as high as modern comedies for sure with the exception of the few lines that we've said like is that is it a porker the german thing um but for the most part it's just you know you're kind of you watch it and you say what's the next thing that's what it is. And you know what? I thought it was pretty entertaining. I know. I know you're right. It, it just felt super choppy to me. But I did want to ask you guys, because I haven't seen these movies. What's the funniest one if I wanted to get my best? Christmas Vacation. Best... Christmas. Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation then, is the funniest. Also, because the, the first one. one yeah. Mm-hmm. And the first one's probably um, the. It's pretty good. First one's in 83. So it was like, it's even, it's it's about as dry as European Vacation, but it's a little bit simpler and it's more straightforward because the and plot, a plot, John, yeah. they're on this one singular family vacation and they actually have a purpose for it. This one, it was like they want a game show and so therefore they're going. They gave every character some backstory. They did the best they could to try to hype it up. But for the most part, it was an excuse to be funny in Europe. I'll also, shout out to Jack, aka Johnny from uh, Karate Kid. Oh yeah, Kid, 1984. Young, uh, no, no, yeah, he was he was the boyfriend, Jack. 
Yeah, he was Jack. Yeah, yeah. barely. Yeah, he was, he was yeah. talked about a lot in the movie. Yes, appeared for he's like Audrey's, fifteen seconds. But he's the yeah. daughter's boyfriend who may be breaking, who may be like having cheating on her because she's in Europe for a whole two weeks and he can't not cheat on her. What was um, that line? Is our relationship? I feel like our relationship strong enough to consider seeing other people. Strong enough to consider <laughs> seeing other people. <laughs> like That's he was in the movie good. for like a total of what sixty seconds, and he still managed to be yeah. really fucking funny. And he got a vote. He got a vote at their early, at their initial. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Deciding who's they were be voting on whether or not the whole family would have to go to <laughs> to Europe, and they gave him a vote. That was pretty funny when the dog jumped off the Eiffel Tower. There were some funny gags. Yes. There were some funny yeah. gags. This is one of those movies, though, that this I know is... what you mean, Jeff. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you, but this is one that should probably only be watched in a YouTube reel. I don't think you should ever sit down and watch this movie in its entirety ever again. If you <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna say that. Yeah, <laughs> it's not worth it. There's Buckingham Palace, kids. That's where the Queen lives and works. Works? What does she do, Dad? She queens and vacuums. Come on. I bet that read I bet that read really well on the page. They were like, oh, that's a good joke, John. Good job. Funny writing. I'm, la- I'm laughing at it right now. It's it's funny. Yep. Yeah. It is pretty anyway. funny. Like I'm I'm just I'm like I agree with you. All the gags at the beginning of this movie worked. It just ran out of steam about sixty minutes in. Um anyway, yeah. let us know what you guys think. You 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 all voted for national by you, I mean you motherfucker listening. But also yeah. collectively our audience decided that national lampoons deserve some consideration. So tell us what you think. Tell John and, and Dave they're assholes. I, I wish we'd ahead. done Christmas vacation. It's so much Christmas better. vacation was not nineteen eighty five. It wasn't nineteen eighty five. I know, but I wish it would get also go. right now we're in <laughs> we're still in July of twenty twenty in this year that will never end. We're just gonna fucking live in a time loop forever. Yes. And Dave is gonna announce for us, because I didn't write them down, <laughs> the three films. So this is two thousand sixteen. So, so many films. I don't even want to start naming them because yep. I'm just gonna get carried away. So from two thousand sixteen to see who can name the most. Two thousand sixteen we announced as the two films we're gonna talk about next week, the arrival. Oh sorry, arrival. Ooh. Dave, and you fucked it up. It's just arrival. It's arrival. I'm I'm reading my <laughs> notes because I have them. Um arrival. Yeah. And What's the, that like? What's it like having notes? <laughs> the, and The Witch. The Witch is yes. awesome. It's such yeah. a good horror movie, everybody. Stephen King Woo! loved it. As it's for so our, was, it, was it really that bad segment? As we said, we're going to open this up to you guys. Please vote. Please vote. So we're vote. gonna whether there'll be a poll online on our Instagram feed, our Twitter feed. There's a link that you can go to. You don't have to enter an email. You can just like click the button and vote for either Great Wall inferno which is the last film in the da vinci code series x-men apocalypse independence day resurgence oh tragedy it's gonna it's (laughs) gonna get brutal so we want to know what really we're not gonna pick the movie you're gonna pick the movie we want you to pick the movie that we're gonna talk about be gentle the poll will close on on friday afternoon and we will watch the movie on the weekend and uh, we'll either <laughs> redeem or roast the fuck out of it, quite frankly. How did Matt Damon oh, yeah. get away with Great Wall? How did, how did we let him off the hook? <laughs> That's got to be the worst year of Matt Damon's career. Matt Damon released Great Wall and Jason Bo- I Am Jason Bourne in the same year. Yeah. Both of those movies are terrible. <laughs> really bad. It's 
Sorry, sorry, but they are, dude. <laughs> Vote accordingly. We're going to wrap up this podcast. This might be the shortest podcast we've ever done. Maybe not. Probably it's not. It's close. And thank you so much for listening. Please reach out to us, and we will see you next week. Ooh, bye, y'all.